Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I am your host, Kane Pittman, here with the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. And today's episode is brought to you by BuiltBar.com. And I say that because I did have a Twitter user, a listener, the other day that mentioned that thought I was saying Bill Barr, Frank, which, you know, I mean, I don't think we want to get into to politics on this podcast, but it is Built Bar. If you use the code locked on, you'll get $10 off your first order. But I thought we could have some fun today, Frank. I went back. I spent my morning this morning listening to our Over Under podcast, which was a three-part series, which I, I don't really understand when I, when I go back and think about it because we, we talked about these Over and Unders for over two hours. I don't think that we had that many that we needed to go that long. And the only other takeaway I had is that this was in the first... I think the first week that I took over the podcast and, um, you know, credit to everyone for listening. I think I was, maybe I was a little bit nervous in your presence, Frank. I'm not sure, but I would like to think that we've, uh, we've come a long way in the last few months. Uh, yeah, I mean, only getting two hours uh, out, of, uh, out of an over-under <laughs> is, is really shameful. We would be at least four hours if we, did, if we were able to do it over again, so... Okay. Um, what did we cover? What did we cover? Like four, four, four over unders in, in two hours. Well, we'll, we'll I guess we'll, we'll figure out. But uh, yeah, uh, let's let's hit it and see. Uh, are you going to keep score here? See how we did? Because um, because I, I don't I don't know if I want you to, but it seems only fair. Yeah. So I've got them down uh, all our picks, and then I've also got obviously where the the players are at currently we assume that there's not gonna be much of a regular season moving on so there's some projections here that we've had to project out some numbers but uh you know overall there wasn't too many that we were different on which is kind of disappointing when i went back and listened but i think we can start with points per game so i'll go with Giannis and chris first uh with Giannis, we both went the over so i had this at 27 Point five last year he averaged twenty seven point seven. Uh, to this point, he's averaging twenty nine point six points per game. I, I think we we're both of the opinion never go against Giannis. I think again this season that has been uh, another statement that is well and truly rung true. Yeah, I mean, at, at some point he's not going to you know just improve everything every year. <laughs> um, but somehow we are still not at that at that point and. Um, on general principle, I will uh, I will tell you right now. Next year, I will take the over again. I don't care where you put it, Kane. Um, you you just don't bet against Giannis when it comes to improvement, which uh, is one thing that has made him such an incredible incredible player to watch over uh, you know these these seven years. All right, Chris Milton, this is the first failure on my part, which is kind of surprising because uh, I'm a big Chris Milton guy, but. I think looking at the numbers last season, Chris averaged 18.3 points. We saw him adapt to a new role. He was shooting less in the mid-range. He was sort of pushed out to the three-point line a lot more. 
along with the fact that we knew Bud was going to rest these guys, the incredible thing with Chris Middleton is the fact that his minutes went down from 31 to 30. He's averaging 21.1 points per game. Obviously, the efficiency is through the charts. You had the over, so this is a tick for you. But uh, Chris Melton, I, I don't think I expected that he could have possibly had a season offensively as, as good as he did. Anyway, what, what was the number we put it at? What was the... 19.5. So you, you were backing him to, to get 29. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I, I thought he... I, I had him over last year, and obviously I think we had him at over 20. Um, maybe even more than that last year. And, and obviously we, I, I was wrong last year. Um, and, and again, there's like, you know, kind of multiple, uh, multiple things kind of at play here. There's the minutes that you mentioned. Um, and I think the big thing though, for him this year was just simply, um, you know, you just look at that starting lineup and, and we've talked about it, you know, the, one of the most surprising stats to me last year was, and I only heard this after, you know, and that's during last summer was, that when the, the starters played together, Chris was fourth in usage in that group, which is mm. kind of crazy to think. Um, but, you know, again, Bledsoe having a little bit bigger role last year, and then obviously Malcolm Brogdon in the role he had. Uh, I, I, know, I don't know. I never thought of it as, as him being, you know, having getting more usage than, than Chris. But um, Malcolm departing, uh, him being obviously kind of one of the, the primary ball handlers there, uh, and swapping Wes Matthews, who obviously is not a primary ball handler and really just a spot up threat and occasional kind of backdoor cutter type. Uh, that I think was, uh, you know, I think the big, the big takeaway was that Chris uh, really blossomed with that additional responsibility. And look, you know, superficially you say, well, he was the second banana last year. He's the second banana this year. He just shot better this year. But I, I really think that there was, you know, some, some, some value to him being, um, you know, getting more touches early, getting more shots up uh, throughout the game, not having to kind of rely on second unit minutes to get more shots. And then I think the other big piece is defensively, um, you know, Chris going from being kind of a primary defender of like the best wing to letting Wes Matthews do that. And Chris having an easier load defensively, I think is another big part of, of this whole story, which I think is, I have to think was, was a factor in him having such a good offensive year is just that, fact that he was able to pace himself a little bit more defensively so either way i mean guy has a ton of credit right i mean to put up essentially 50 40 90 on you know over 20 points per game and 30 minutes per game is is remarkable and and again i mean this is the bet you could say this is pretty much like best case scenario that you could have gotten out of chris you know right after signing that monster contract but um you know credit goes to him and damn you just hope that uh he, he hasn't gotten rusty during this layoff, right? I mean, uh, he was sensational. And they're going to need him to play like that in the playoffs. Uh, you know, knock on wood that uh, everything goes as, as expected. It's just so rare to see a player go up or the shot totals go up and the efficiency still skyrocket like it did for Middleton. It, it just doesn't happen. Uh, I think it's a, a testament to the, to the system and obviously the second year with Bud, but his field, field goal attempts went up from 14.9 to 15.5. And that field goal percentage went up from 44 to 49.9, as we <laughs> have spoke about just a touch under the 50-40-90 club. But uh, from every department, the two-point field goal percentage from 48% up to a ridiculous 55%. And even his free throws. He was an 83% free throw shooter last year. This year, obviously, he got that above 90. So when you factor in all those things, it makes sense that he saw a little bit of a bump up in the scoring. 
And while Chris Middleton built up his scoring through the season, you can build up your energy with Built Bar. <laughs> Built Bars are tasty. They are the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. They have 16 amazing flavors. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. Built Bar is great for the health-conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. You know we have a great offer for you. If you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, You'll get $10 off your first order. Use the promo code locked on for $10 off your first order at builtbar.com. Now stop messing around and get onto that deal. The next guy, Eric Bledsoe, we both took the over on 15.5 points per game. He's currently at 15.4. <laughs> so it's, it's it's very close. And, you know, obviously 17 games still there to play. And we don't know. You know, Giannis was going to miss a few games. So he might have seen a bit of a, a uptick in scoring. So this is one that's a little bit hard to predict because we went by the points per game rather than the point total. But uh, Bledsoe looks like he's, he's just come under our over. How would you assess Bledsoe offensively this season, though, if you if you had to summarize what you saw from him? Um, I mean, the funny part with Bledsoe, um, yeah, I think part of the reason I took the over was because it's like, well, you, you just lost Malcolm Brogdon, so Bledsoe's going to have yeah. to play more, have to play a bigger role. And then he ends up actually playing almost two fewer minutes per game. Um, his shot numbers, uh, like in terms of attempts, were, were pretty much flat. Um, shot better from three, 35% versus 33%, uh, but then did see his, his two-point percentage drop from 58%. 10, which is fantastic for a point guard to 54%. Um, actually got to the line a little bit more and shot 81% this year, um, which, you know, we talked to, he's, he's one of those guys that, you know, I think benefited from uh, Kyle Korver and, and his uh, whispering. Uh, it seemed like, you know, he, he talked about that with, uh, I think Eric had a story where Bledsoe talked about um, Kyle, you know, kind of providing him tips and um, helping him get a little more confident at the free throw line. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, Bledsoe was kind of one of those guys. And, and again, until we get to the playoffs, you know, the, the book is not going to be closed. The story might be told on him. But um, he was a player that I think we kind of worried a little bit about, right? You know, I mean, after the playoffs last year, I mean, I think it would be natural. He's, you know, turning 30. And is he going to be the same athletic, explosive, productive player that, that he has been? Since, since landing in Milwaukee uh, and, you know, being a really borderline all-star guy last year, um, you know, is, can he actually maintain that or is he going to start cresting downward? And um, I think the good news is by and large, you know, he, he really maintained what he was. Now, you know, was he quite at the same level defensively? I don't know, maybe less consistent defensively, but I would say, you know, obviously the, the team defense, um, you certainly wouldn't say, well, yeah, Bledsoe wasn't as, as good as he was last year. And, you know, it's, it's hurt the box, right? I mean, the defense has been fantastic. Um, and, you know, Bledsoe slightly more efficient this year, 58% true shooting. Um, just, just a hair above where he was last year. Um, a lot of his other numbers were kind of similar, you know, efficiency wise. Um, so again, is he going to continue to play at, at quite this level year after year after year? You know, again, at some point soon, he's going to start to decline, you know, with, with maybe his explosiveness, maybe not, being what it was i think the uh the lack of dunks this year i think we're you know from a watching the game watching every game perspective and you know trying to look for indicators that that guys are aging um 
you know, Bledsoe took some, uh, took some ribbing on his, uh, on no longer being in the, in the dunking in the dunkers category. Uh, I, I forget who, I forget. Would the Corver say that? Yeah. Uh, I think Corver <laughs> said that in a post Zora Stevenson. Um, and yeah, I mean, two years ago, 18 dunks in 71 games in Milwaukee last year, 15 dunks in 78 games in Milwaukee this year, only two dunks credited, uh, in 56 games. So, I mean, look, it does seem like maybe he's lost a little bit of that explosive finishing um, in some some cases. Um, you know, he was still 72% uh, zero to three feet. So in the restricted area, he was 72.6% last year. So not a whole lot, not a whole lot of drop off there, obviously. Um, and, uh, you know, his other numbers all were, were, were very strong. So um uh, did get to the rim a little bit less in terms of his percentage shots this year than last year, but still a guy that obviously gets to the rim very well. And as I mentioned, did did actually increase his free throw rate last year, which is another one of those things that, you know, as guys get less athletic, you'd expect that number to go down. So that kind of holding up looked pretty good. So, I mean, again, the, the book on Bledsoe will, will obviously need to be written in the playoffs uh, for him to kind of be fully redeemed. But um, I would say certainly encouraging given the investment the team made in him, you know, essentially choosing him over Malcolm Brogdon at the end of the day uh, for him to, you know, continue to play at a high level. It was, that has actually obviously been a bit of a big deal. So minute totals, we had three of these. We had DJ Wilson, the over and under was at 1200, which looking back, very optimistic. Uh, We both took the under here. This basically worked out to be 17.1 minutes per game over 70 games if he was to be in the rotation to that extent. Uh, listening back, we were both pretty sure that this was going to come in under, and we pointed, obviously, to Ersan Uisova as a main reason for this. The addition of Robin Lopez and not playing those small ball five lineups also contributed. And then, as we know, as the season went on, Marvin Williams came in, which really cemented DJ Wilson on the bench there. He only played 280 minutes to this point in uh, the season so you can project out whatever you want but he wasn't going to get there so we both had that one we had two other ones that were kind of interesting though Dante DiVincenzo for starters we set the over under at a thousand we both had the over but clearly the concerning factor here was health and and we both thought based on what we saw in his rookie season the fact that he was playing significant minutes when he was healthy and and available to play uh, gave us confidence that he was going to be in the rotation. We both sort of speculated that he would be ahead of Sterling Brown, which is how it ultimately played out. Uh, he's already played 1,362 minutes this season, averaging 23 minutes per game. But the big thing, he's only missed six games. I don't think he would have had the impact that he has had this season, but uh, we were both pretty comfortable that he was going to be in the rotation if healthy. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think the concern was... Um was health. And, uh, you know, I, I think for him to come in and, and look right off the bat healthy and really erase kind of the concerns we had during the summer obviously was, um, was a very positive thing. I mean, you know, I think when you, we look back on this season, as far as positives that kind of came out of this season, I think especially long-term given the lack of young talent on the Bucks roster, I mean, Dante emerging as um, a, you know, very valuable rotation piece on a title contender and, you know, potentially a, f- a future starter, right? And I think we, we, we've talked a bit about um, some reasons why, hey, maybe, his, maybe his, his ceiling is as like an awesome bench guy rather than as, um, you know, a starter. But I think either way, uh, his emergence and sort of legitimization <laughs> uh, this year um, were really big stories and, and matter a lot. 
you know, when you think about not just um, this year, but really over the next couple of years, because, you know, when we talk about guys like Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez, George Hill, guys on the other side of 30, um, somewhere you're going to have to start making up for those guys declining. And, and obviously Giannis can't do it all by himself. He at some point will not continue to improve every year, <laughs> but uh, you're going to need guys like Dante in particular to, uh, to, to begin picking up that slack. And again, I think what he did this year was beyond sort of what I think most of us would have hoped and not, not like out of the question or anything like that. I think he's, he was really good in ways that were consistent with what we saw last year. You know, I think he was still sort of the same guy, just better uh, and healthier and more confident. And, um, you know, just, he just, he just, a, you know, plays winning basketball. And I think he just obviously, he, you know, I mean, kudos to Bud and John Horst and the Bucks for, for seeing that in him when, uh, when they did at the 17th pick two years ago. So Kyle Korver, 1,334 minutes was the over and under. And this was very optimistic, or it's certainly now when you look at a number, it seems like a lot. But the the interesting thing to note is this is this minute total from a season ago, which is kind of crazy. He played 70 games, 19 minutes per game in 2018-19. That was with Cleveland and also uh, Utah. This is a guy that's been really healthy. He's played, at this point, uh, Kyle Korver has played 833 minutes. I think he's featured in the rotation a lot more than we probably thought he would. The thing that actually hurt him was the fact that he missed 15 games uh, and this came just prior to uh, the lockout, or sorry, the the season shutting down uh, with the back injury. But he came back and if you remember that game against Denver, the last game the Bucks played, he was shooting the lights out. He was actually playing really well in that kind of oddly entertaining game that the Bucks played in Denver. He's not going to get there and he was averaging 16.7 minutes per game. So even if he had played 75 games at that average, he wasn't going to get there. He was going to get to 1,250. So he was going to fall around 80 minutes short there. So uh, we both took the under. I think this was clearly the safe under. And maybe I had that a little higher than it should have been. But this guy's been an, an Iron Man. He just has not missed a lot of games. He's only dropped under that minutes total twice in his career. That was back in 2010 and then his rookie season. So uh, this, guy's, this guy's been really consistent. Yeah, and that's not, again, that's not necessarily, um, you know, I, I think, you know, when we look at, at these these three guys, right, they, they're very different stories, right? DJ, young guy, really was on the bubble. You know, was he going to break in terms of into the rotation or out of the rotation? Dante, young guy that I think we all expected to. And then Kyle, um, the veteran that, you know, sort of you uh, you thought, okay, you know, is, is, uh, is he actually going to have a real role or is he going to be more of just, kind of like a break in case of emergency guy but i think we both thought he would play um but again just not quite as much as uh, as that you know the over under that we had for him um and, and that was it i mean you know i think he still acquitted himself pretty well this year i think it's gonna be interesting to see if he comes back um and i think he can still play especially on this roster with this team um but uh yeah i think uh again a part of the concern i think with with kyle is you know again are you are you developing the Sterling Browns are, are you know or especially on a team like the Bucks where you're just buzz selling people um don't you have more kind of bandwidth to to take younger players and see what you can do with them and give them more of an opportunity I think that's obviously kind of when you think longer term wherever the Bucks are in three to four years um we talk about Dante and his emergence I think certainly there's going to be some questions if if they you know are not as good as they are now um, could they have done more, you know, uh, in a year like this? 
trying to see what they could get out of younger players. Um, and, and obviously it, it has not been a big priority for them, um, which, you know, I, I, winning cultures, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to prioritize just sort of force feeding young guys minutes or, or really giving them kind of actively chances to play when uh, the emphasis is on winning and earning minutes. And, you know, I think uh, you look at a guy like DJ, obviously um, say what you want, but you know, Clearly didn't earn minutes, right? I mean, you can't. I can't fault uh, from a merit from a meritocracy standpoint for him not playing. And I think Kyle showed that he did deserve minutes, and Sterling Brown didn't, right? So it, it kind of is what it is. Three point shooting numbers. First, we went with the three point attempts per game for the team. We had the over and under set at thirty nine point five. Keeping in mind. The Bucks averaged 38.2 in 2018-19, and they were up to 39.2 in the preseason. We both took the over, and they got off to a hot start when the Bucks were 2-2 two two in October. They actually averaged 45.8 three-point attempts per game. They were letting it fly, and then that quickly dropped. Uh, and coincidentally, uh, the Bucks started winning a lot more games. They were scoring in different ways. Obviously, Giannis was being dominant on the inside. They tried Brook Lopez, and... and you know, this is funny. We're going to get into Brook Lopez a little bit here, but maybe some of the struggles with some of the players uh, created this. But either way, we were both off because the Bucks were at 38.6 three-point attempts per game as it currently stands. Interesting that went up to 39.5 after the All-Star break. I don't know whether that was going to be a trend moving forward. When we were talking about this, we both sort of discussed that uh, just from watching the preseason and the fact that we believed that the three-point shooting was just going to continue to rise. It's not something that's going to slow down. So that's why we were both comfortable taking the over. Uh, you know, 38.2 last year, 38.6 this year. It's kind of surprising to me that this has stagnated a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you kind of just look at a high level, right? Like, you look at the roster. I mean, you swapped um, – Malcolm Brogdon, who is a good three-point shooter, or, or well, he not, hasn't been in Indiana, but obviously was a very good three-point shooter in Milwaukee, but a very low-volume three-point shooter. Yeah. And you take him out of the equation, you put in, you know, essentially Wes Matthews is kind of the, the starter swap. And Wes, obviously, you think of as a very kind of high-volume you know, guy per minute in terms of threes that, that he gets up. So you lose him. Obviously, we talked about Korver. You had Korver. Um, and then, you know, a guy like Giannis, Obviously, we knew it was going to shoot probably more threes this year. And again, not that he was going from, you know, into a game or something, but he was obviously going to shoot more threes. So, so yeah, I mean, I think there was the the logic that, that this team would shoot generally more three-pointers. Um, but, you know, and then they did, you know, but but just modestly. And, and I think, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think at some point there there is a limit, obviously. You just can't put up threes, you know, every time down the court. Um, and I think that's going to be one of the interesting things to see, uh, you know, kind of just league wide is at what point does this all slow down? Um, because, you know, it's been obviously steadily growing, steadily growing. And then some, uh, over for years and years and years. Um, but at some point, you know, you kind of, I think bump up against the limits of how many you can reasonably take and, you know, uh, the layups are going to be starting to be foregone uh, if you take too many of these. So, so obviously there's got to be some kind of balance, but um, yeah, we thought it'd be a little bit more and we were a little bit off. Well, the funny thing about that is that you look at the increase in Giannis, the three point attempts per game, he's up at 4.8 and you would think, well, okay, if Giannis is shooting that many threes, 
there's going to be a significant jump in the Bucks per game total. But Brook Lopez was the one who went down from over six to around that same mark. He was actually shooting less threes, uh, fewer threes than, than Giannis. So uh, <laughs> you, know why, you know what made me laugh then? Because when I was listening back to this podcast, like I said, this was when we first started. And I said, Did I shame you? Yeah, you shame, Did I shame me. you. And you said, yeah. I don't care if you've only been around for a few days. We're going to get on top of this early. I think I've done it. <laughs> I think I've done a reasonable job of that. But yeah, Brooke Lopez <laughs> shooting fewer threes than Giannis per game. Uh, obviously, the minutes are a little bit different there, but I probably would not have predicted that one. But then we walked into the individual three point makes on the season. I had the over and under at 199.5. So I was asking whether you think a guy can hit 200 threes in the season. Lopez had 187 last season, which was third highest in franchise history. Middleton had 179. Uh, you went the under. You were feeling pretty confident about that. I was feeling very optimistic. And not only did I take the over, but I said it was going to be Brooke Lopez, who currently only has 101 three-point makes. I don't think he was going to make 19 in the last 17 games. So we were. Uh, uh, that's another one for you. You got, you got me there. I was feeling very optimistic. Uh, what else have we got here? Oh, this is a fun one. Robin Lopez ejections. Uh, I set the line at 2.5. And uh, we both (laughs) took the under. I did say that I thought that I would take the under for Robin on his own, but I wanted the over for both Lopez brothers, uh, clearly. Uh, Unless I'm wrong. I can't remember the Bucks had an ejection at all. Can can you remember one? Um, Offhand? As far as on technicals, no. I mean, obviously Giannis had foul outs, but... Yeah. Uh, as far as ejections, I I don't recall. Uh, yeah, I've got the tech foul numbers here. Would you? Who would you say was leading the the Bucks for for technical fouls? Mm. Bucks leaders in technicals. Um, it's kind of weird. I, you know, I think um, I if I recall correctly, you know, Brooke never really got technicals, and then started getting them in much <laughs> higher volumes when he came to Milwaukee, which is kind of kind yeah, of funny because right. he became a great defensive player in Milwaukee. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm trying to think like, I don't, I can't think of anybody who just like gets a lot of them. So I don't know, maybe, maybe Brooke, but I, I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. So Brooke Lopez with eight technical fouls on the season leads the Bucks. Wesley Matthews second with five, uh, then Giannis with four, Bledsoe with three. Uh, no Bud there. I, I don't know how many Bud got, but it was a very low amount. I know that was something Bucks fans like to talk about a lot, the fact that maybe he could pick up a few more. Uh, we had a couple of really quick ones here. number of players named Eric Bledsoe on the roster come playoffs. Uh, 0.5 was the line. Uh, we, we both, we both uh, took the over here. I was almost about to say the under. We both took the over, uh, but I didn't note down that you were very, very unsure about this decision. You were, let's just say you weren't feeling all that confident that Eric Bledsoe would, would be a buck come playoff time. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I took the over, I, I, I said he would be on the roster in part because I felt like, well, you know, th- there isn't like an obvious fallback or, or option here. If you, if you don't, I mean, if he's disappointing, then, you're not going to get much value for him in a trade. And if he's playing really well, then you're probably not going to want to mess anything up. So, you know, sort of the uh, trade paralysis was my, my prognosis, I think. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is going to be, you know, I'm crossing my fingers that that we don't get a situation where he disappoints in the playoffs again. And then we have to go through this, you know, another discussion this off season about what you do with him. Um, Hopefully he kind of 
breaks that that playoff jinx a bit um, this summer. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I definitely have concerns coming into the season, um, in part because of his age, part because obviously just the playoffs last year. Uh, and again, it obviously he's he's played well overall this year, and you just you just really hope it kind of stays that way because uh, you know again the, he's he's obviously been a really critical guy for the for the team, especially during the regular season. So we had the same question for Dragon Bender, zero point five over or under Dragon Benders on the roster come playoffs. We both took the under there and we were right. And this was the obvious decision when you think too, who was going to be the easiest guy to cut uh, when it came to the time that they needed to. Uh, we spoke about DJ Wilson's guaranteed money a lot, $4.5 million that he's owed uh, next season. And the other guy being Thanasis, who had a guaranteed contract for last year. So Dragon Bender, unfortunately, was the guy that made way there. That seemed like it was going to be a pretty obvious move. Uh, Giannis MVP finish. We both predicted he would the MV- win the MVP. I'm giving us that one because I think he's going to. We spoke about that a lot. But one that was pretty interesting, Wes Matthews' number of starts, 48.5, we had that at. And this was a really interesting discussion to go back and listen to because uh, I've sort of pointed out the fact that I thought that maybe he would have the over because the role that he was playing, the minimal offensive impact that he would be expected to have would lead to him being the perfect fifth guy in the rotation. Now, I didn't expect that he would have the defensive responsibility that he ended up having. And I think ultimately that was why he stayed with the starting group. But he started every single game that he played, 62 starts already. So he's blown this over and over under out of the water. We both took the over, so we were right there. But I, I didn't expect this type of number from him. I thought he might be on shaky ground there a little bit. Yeah, and the interesting thing was, you know, especially with the way that Dante DiVincenzo uh, filled in when guys were yeah, out, exactly. uh, whether it was Wes or, or Chris Middleton or Dante or uh, Eric Bledsoe, uh, Dante was always kind of the plug-and-play guy. And, you know, the, the on-court ratings with Dante this year have just been cartoonishly good. Um, you know, he's been a, a RPM, PIPM all-star uh, with just, you know, the, the, the analytics just, showing that I mean the team just is incredible when when he's on the floor you know again winning basketball player in the true sense of the word so um I think it's an interesting question for next year uh, obviously there's a contract decision there does he take as a player option for next year at two and a half million bucks does he uh, opt out again I would imagine both him and the team would be interested in bringing him back um not for a lot of money or for very long but you know again maybe another one plus one type thing um, but yeah, I mean, does at some point, does he go to the bench? I don't know, because as I think what you're alluding to, I mean, and, and what I mentioned with, uh, you know, why Chris was so good this year in part because of just the, the defensive workload that, that West took on, um, you know, Dante is a different type of player. You know, you're not going to put Dante on LeBron James. Uh, you know, Dante's, I think a, a very good defender, much more as like a team defender type guy. Uh, I think you know, he can defend smaller players, but obviously he's not going to play against um, like threes and maybe even some fours the way West can at times. Like, you know, West can capably defend a, a guy like Kawhi, which obviously you wouldn't expect to put Dante in a situation like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's an argument that no matter how good Dante is, um, just from like a role standpoint uh, and the defensive kind of fit standpoint with the rest of the guys in the roster, um, that, you know, as long as you get, a similar version of Wes as you've gotten this year. Maybe Wes isn't finishing games. I think there's obviously a good argument that, you know, depending on the matchups, that unless you really need Wes out there defensively because of, because of his strength, um, that you want to put Dante into the mix, just given his 
his greater versatility and you know he's obviously a much better ball handler and attacker than than Wes is um but uh you know kudos to Wes and uh obviously uh you know I think I I think the results speak for themselves you know no no complaints whatsoever with uh with how that starting unit held up and I think having that role playing kind of spot up shooter guy actually was you know something that that helped them and actually, uh, you know, didn't, didn't take much off the table, even if Malcolm Brogdon is obviously a much more talented offensive player in general. Regular season wins. We had at 57.5. I took the over, you took the under here and I did stay. I knew there was going to be a pandemic. I knew there was going to be a (laughs) pandemic, obviously. So that was my impression, right? Well, uh, yeah, well, that's a good point you bring up. I don't know who actually wins this. I mean, the Bucks projected to win 67 games. And, uh, (laughs) well, thank you. And the interesting thing was that I actually mentioned that I always thought it was going to be the under. And I thought that I would have taken the under here because I remember thinking that the Bucks were going to be in the 54, 55 win range. And I actually mentioned that preseason play influenced me. So obviously, I I was liking what I was seeing back in early October. But yeah, as I said, the Bucks projected. The 67 wins, 53 and 12 at the at the moment as it currently stands. Home wins, 33.5 was the line. Funny that they won 33 home games last year, 28 and 3 at Fiserv Forum as it currently stands. That projects out to 37 and 4. So again, we both took the over there. Uh, so you you were you were predicting some road struggles for the Bucks. That's what I'm taking out of this. And then yeah, that's kind of weird. I admit that's kind of weird. <laughs> but this one I think is very interesting. Double digit wins. Remember last year. Bucks forty-five double-digit wins. It was just a ridiculous uh, number. They were, I think, they were more than ten above any other team in terms of double-digit wins. Uh, we both took the under here. Currently, thirty-five double-digit wins, which projects out that they were going to have forty-four double-digit wins. So we are both just correct here. But the heartbreaking tale for those that had the over at home: seven nine-point wins. Yeah, I mean that. Uh, I mean, again, I I took the under because again, I just thought there'd be you know the Bucks basically just would be more focused on kind of getting ready for the playoffs and and just would ease off the accelerate a little bit. And, and obviously, um, you know, to their credit, they just hit another another gear entirely, especially on that defensive end. So, um, so it's been uh, it's been a really I'd say strong year for them uh, in pretty much every respect, especially defensively and. Um, you know, you always kind of wonder, well, like, are they going to lose a little bit of that edge knowing that the regular season is long or do they get better? Cause now they've had that full year of experience playing with each other and in that system. And obviously the latter was, was the dominant thing. And I will never be happier about being wrong than, uh, than on that one. So final one, and it's a fun one to finish on number of cups of tea drunk from Robin Lopez during the regular season. Uh, we set the line at 40.5. So this is obviously three-point makes for, for Robin Lopez. This would have absolutely shattered his previous career high for three-point makes in a season, which I believe was 11. Uh, sorry, he had 11 career triples total coming into this season, a career high seven last year when Jim Boylan really just let him cut loose. Currently, Robin Lopez has 33 three-point makes. If you project that out, for the last 17 games, that he's 0.6 three-point makes per game. That takes him up to 43. We both took the over. Yeah. We were both laughing yeah. about the over, but he got it. Well, he I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I remember I'm doing, it. I'm doing. I'm doing the celebration here in my house. Well, to I, celebrate. I, 
I've been saying it all season, but the the stats don't lie. Brook Lopez, 29.6% from three. Robin Lopez, up to 34.4%. He became a... I'm not saying I want him taking a big shot, but he seemed to be pretty comfortable from the corners at least. Yeah, I mean, you know, he uh, his percentage wasn't that far off where Brook was last year, but I think when you look at the types of threes they took, you know, Brook <laughs> took a lot more heat checks, took a lot more like, you know, 30-footers where... You know, the guy was not that far away from him, whereas Robin, uh, thankfully, you know, mostly was was uh, open when he was taking these. He, I mean, he did take some. He started to take some, especially in the corners when guys were closing out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he kind of played within himself, I would say, right? He took open ones and he took corners, a lot of corner threes, which, um, you know, I think is, is a little interesting because when we talked about with Brooke, you know, defensively there's, I think, spatially some advantage in having – him shoot those sort of trail long trail threes from the you know above the break just because he can you know basically doesn't have to run all the way down the floor and then he doesn't have to run all the way back defensively he's you know he's not uh he's not in the corner and having to cover as much ground but um robin obviously uh i'd say did a pretty nice job of you know and again our team's defending him in the corner to to make threes no um but again i think uh the fact that he was um a competent three-point shooter this year uh, it's important, and, and we'll see. Um, he's definitely, that's definitely one of those interesting things I'm curious to see. Uh, you know, is that a sustainable thing that, that he can do at, at a similar rate next year? And um, do teams actually sort of kind of maybe start to, to guard him a little bit? Um, you know, he took half of his threes uh, from the corner this year and hit 39% from there, so that's obviously encouraging. And, uh, you know, just for reference, Brooke, only took 18% of his threes from the corner this year, hit 35%. So, um, yeah, very different in terms of stylistically where they like to shoot those threes. So overall, we had 17 over and unders. You had 14, correct? I had 13, so you're the winner. Uh, and, and, you know, what, what perfect timing to head into the weekend knowing that uh, you're a winner. I'm and, the best. And, I'm know, the best. I mean, I, lucky I've got a couple of days to recover here to get over this because it's going to be difficult. But uh, <laughs> just an update, though. For next week, I'm sure we're going to go into this, but the, we spoke about it a couple of times, but the latest Board of Governors meeting is scheduled for Friday. Funnily enough, I think it came out or it's been reported that they're not actually expecting to come to any type of conclusion for this meeting. So again, uh, next week we might be speculating more than having anything concrete uh, to talk about in regards to the NBA season uh, restarting. But uh, I, I guess we'll see what happens, Frank. I'm sure we'll get leaks and shams and... and uh... Uh, Woj will have you know leaks from the governor's meeting on Friday. I thought it was a little weird. Like I was reading some of the Kevin O'Connor stuff um, about the I guess the GMs you know had this were pulled for what they preferred um, in terms of um, you know a playoff scenario. And you know, Kevin tweeted like basically, oh well, you know seventy five percent of people of the GMs I think uh, I think between the world cup style pool thing and a plan tournament featuring just basically the kind of, you know, mediocre teams. I think like 75% favored the, the plan and 20 to 25% the world cup pool thing. And um, I don't know, O'Connor's thing kind of made it seem like, Oh, he was like, Oh, don't read too much into it. Like, you know, uh, whatever. Um, and he was kind of making it sound like Adam Silver is just going to decide this on, on his own. And I was reading that. I was just like, I mean, ultimately, this is the board of governors, and if you're the owner of a team and you know that your GM is being pulled, aren't you telling your GM what you want him to vote for? Like, 
isn't the GM poll going to be pretty reflective of what the owners are going to do? And, you know, KOC also said, oh, well, they're just voting with their self-interest. Yeah, and that's what the owners are going to do. <laughs> the owners yeah. are going to vote with their self-interest. Like, if you think that, you know, the owners are going to vote against what's the interest of their teams, like, what are we, why would we think that? Like, these, you know, these are the friggin' owners of NBA basketball teams. Like, <laughs> these dudes did not get to their positions by, you know, being like, oh, I just think it would be good for, you know, good for the sport to have something weird and wacky. You know, it's like, I just don't think, Anyway, KOC is in the can for that World Cup style thing. So um, I, I feel like he's got his, his World Cup goggles on. But um, by the way, another point on that, like, I, I feel like it's a very, like, NBA fan who isn't really a hardcore soccer fan to look at the World Cup, like, approach and think that, like, people actually like that. I don't, I don't think the World Cup approach is actually, like, a, somehow, like, some, like, really great way of figuring out who's the best national team in the world. It's just kind of like you have to make the best of a complicated situation. The World Cup has one month every four years to figure out who, you know, <laughs> who, who is the, the world champion. Like they have to do a bunch of like complicated qualifying from different you know, continents and, and, the, and, and everything, the confederations to figure out who goes. And then you have all these like random teams that, you know, good teams that, that lose in group play and random teams that make it. Um, and I get it. Like if you don't care about soccer, which is most Americans, it's fun that there's all this drama, but again, like, you know, that also means that you get crappy teams in the round of 16. And as you were pointing out, like, okay, so, you know, there's a trade off here, you know, do you want to make your round of eight in the NBA's case worse? Uh, because you think it'd be fun to have some weird stuff happening in, in a group play. Right. Uh, anyway, so I think we continue to, uh, you know, be be uh, uh, very skeptical of that uh, that option. Um, but it just seems like the World Cup thing is being fetishized, as though there's something inherently good about it, or that like soccer is uh, uh, like somehow like it's good in soccer. And it's like, I don't. Is it good in soccer? I feel like it's just you know a, an artifact of like the weird circumstances of you know the World Cup. It's not you know like. Uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of kind of strange. Uh, I I can't get into it again because I'll get too annoyed. Uh, ultimately, they're trying to fix something that is only going to create more problems. And when you really lay it out, all this is about is about the box of magic in the first round. That's literally all this is about. People keep on saying, "Well, no one wants to watch the box of magic in the first round." Well, uh, there's a reason that that's the matchup because the best team in the entire NBA gets an advantage in the first round to move through the second round. They want to get rid of that advantage. It makes no sense to me. And I can, I can talk about it for hours, but uh, yeah, you already took away home court, right? You've already (laughs) taken away home court. Like there's already a huge, you already have like a, 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 you know, a huge advantage that the best teams are losing because this is going to be a neutral site. So why we're trying to, you know, help incentivize mediocre teams and and all that i i just i don't really get it but you know i I think again this is the um this is sort of the uh the you know ncaa tournamentification of of uh of of the nba where it's like hey what would be fun and random um which i I get it there's there's some appeal to this if you are a fan that doesn't really have you know a horse in the race but when you actually are like trying to figure out how you identify the best actual team then um then you start to care about this 
Yep, there's no doubt about it. And don't forget, for all the listeners, continue to send in your thoughts on all this. It seems to be from a Bucks point of view that everyone's in the same boat here. But uh, we got to the end of another week. If you missed some of the podcast through the week, go back. We listened, uh, sorry, we discussed uh, all those different potential scenarios for the NBA and a pod during a week yesterday. We had the man who's provided me with a lot of photoshops of Frank over the year, Justin Superbuck. That was a fun one, but Frank, have a good weekend over there. To all our listeners, stay safe out there. Have a good weekend and we'll catch you guys next week.